if we're raising our boys and our girls for that matter too, without a healthy view of, of relationships, then there's this isolation that happens where young men will look at other men as competition and they'll look at other women as conquest. But what it does is it, in different ways, it separates us from every other human being. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast bonus episode 222. Today, we're talking to Dave Willis about raising boys who respect girls. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clarkfield's Mindful Mama Mentor. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of the Mindful Parenting Membership, and I'm the author of Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confident kids. Welcome back to the podcast, my friend. I am so glad you are here. So nice to connect. If you're listening to this in real time, we are in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic, so I am so pleased to know that you have a moment to yourself to listen to a podcast in the 24-7 family time in week 5,200 of Shelter in Place. (laughs) Today, we are going to be talking to Dave Willis, the author of the book, Raising Boys Who Respect Girls. And we're going to be talking about this idea that uh, about boys and that whole locker room mentality. And I'm so excited for you to hear Dave. And then I recorded this conversation before the pandemic, but he, he's a really amazing person. I really like and respect him so much. He spent 13 years as a full-time pastor and is now a speaker, author, and relationship coach. And uh, he and his wife have four young sons in Texas. And uh, this is a great conversation talking to this this idea, you know, since since hashtag me too, when we had contact with each other, you know, in, in growing feminism, we're really interested in, in how to empower women. But what about the other half of the population? What do we need to know as parents to take a look at how we are raising our, our boys to either be complicit in that locker room mentality or to take a stand against it? We're going to be talking about that, talking about how boys want to know what it takes to be a man and this idea that we really need to talk to our boys, that they take our silence as approval of the status quo. Before we dive into this bonus episode, I do want to let you know that the Mindful Parenting membership is opening just for four days window. And this is such a, this time, this crazy time, well, 24-7 family time, challenging, you know, challenging ourselves so much, but it it actually offers this really unique opportunity to focus on your relationships in your family, which we really want to last a lifetime. And this time will will change and life will get busier again. So right now is really the perfect time to dive into the membership and focus on your family. I invite you to learn more, learn about the Mindful Parenting course embedded into the membership and the other pieces of the membership. 
how you get to talk to me live every month, multiple times a month and ask your personal questions, get personal guidance, how you get a system so that you're not worrying about what's the right thing to say anymore, that you're going to learn it and you're going to learn the tools to lower that reactivity in yourself and, and understand your own triggers so you don't pass on that harmful stuff. So the Mindful Parenting membership is opening soon. It is the perfect time to do this, to focus on our families. We're with them all the time. So let's do it now uh, before life gets way busier again. And you can join us at mindfulparentingcourse.com. So check it out and learn more at mindfulparentingcourse.com. And now join me at the table as I talk to Dave Willis. Dave Willis, thank you so much for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast. Thank you, Hunter. It's a, it's a privilege and pleasure to be here. Well, I'm glad you're here. And I'm so excited to talk about your book, Raising Boys Who Respect Girls. And, and I wanted to start out because like, I grew up in this era where, I don't know, I grew up as this feminist kid. I don't know how this happened. But I grew up in an era like, when I was a teen, I was totally shocked to see that like the boys and men in the world kind of like that being kind of rude and aggressive and looking down on women and girls was considered totally normal. And to me, I was just like so appalled and frustrated with this. And now we're in this time with like Me Too and this growing feminism where we're not uh, as accepting of that whole culture at all, but it's still really persistent, right? And and at yes. these like, and at very high levels, unfortunately. So I'm curious to ask you as a former pastor, you know, I'm really interested, how would you describe the, the problem of the like locker room mentality and, and, you know, and, and who does it hurt? Well, it, it hurts everyone to answer the second part of that question first. It, it hurts everyone. I think people maybe assume that that locker room mentality and sexist mindsets only hurts women and, and certainly women are hurt. But I argue that men are really hurt, that men give up a huge part of their own humanity in that process of objectifying women. There are, there are absolutely no winners in it. And to kind of answer the first part of the question, what is it, you know, that locker room mentality that I talk about in the book, it, it isn't just what happens kind of in the, the stereotypical locker room, but that locker room mindset, it represents any place, any compartment in a man's mind or in his world um, where he feels like it's safe, it's a safe escape for him to harbor um, sexist views or views that objectify women in any capacity. And it can happen in a, certainly in a locker room or in a boardroom, but it can also happen in a chat room or it can happen just in a, in a compartment in that man's own mind where he feels like that's a safe place for me to retreat and, and have thoughts or fantasies that, um, that are not healthy or not respectful toward women. And so part of the message of the book and part of what I'm trying to teach my own sons and live out in my own life is to just not create any space in our lives where that's, that's acceptable and to kind of shine the light into those dark places where a lot of these toxic mindsets have taken root. Mm. No, no. How would you say for your, your own, your own life, how did you become aware of this as a problem? I mean, was this something you grew up with really progressive parents who were thinking about these things? Or is this something you grew to understand more as you grew up? I had really early exposure to pornography um, 
even though I was, I was raised in a home that didn't, didn't tolerate that kind of thing. You know, I was taught that that was, that was bad and that that was wrong, but I still found my way into it. Like a lot of young boys do. And what that did to, um, to kind of put images in my mind, some of the earliest images that I had related to, to sex and sexuality and, um, the opposite sex were these very dangerous and damaging and objectifying images of, of, of porn that had largely been produced by men for men to look at women as objects. And as a young adolescent kid, even though I considered myself a respecter of, of women, there was this whole part of my mindset that had kind of been poisoned by these images and these, these false views of sexuality that, um, that really made, it made an incongruent reality where I wanted to respect women, but at the same time, my mindset and my eyes were being trained to look at women as objects. And so in the book, I talk a lot about pornography and I talk about my experience with it and a lot of research with it too, because I, I feel like, um, I feel like porn has been one of these areas in society where we look at it and we say, well, that's just entertainment. You know, that's relatively harmless. It's even empowering to women. I've, I've heard some people argue, but the research shows something very different. Mm -hmm. And especially when, um, when our young, young boys, and it's, it's, I mean, it's a growing area of, of concern for, you know, young girls and women who are um, being kind of raised on porn as, as their sexual education. But specifically in the book, I talk about what it does in the young male mind and how it, it puts a young man on a trajectory of not being prepared for healthy relationships, but actually being sabotaged to look at women as sexual conquest or to be looking at women as, as objects, um, you know, for his own his own desire, which is the root, I think, of a lot of the toxic, the toxic behavior we've seen from, from very prominent men in the media. I, I believe that porn is kind of the gateway drug, so to speak, that opens the door to a lot of these, uh, these mindsets and actions. And I argue that in the book, and it's, it's not always a popular opinion. If it was up to me, I, I wish that porn didn't exist. I don't think anything at all good comes from it. And, you know, there are those who like to, you know, debate the opposite sides of that. Um, but the book's about a lot more than just mm -hmm. porn, mm -hmm. but I do mm -hmm. think to answer your question, that's a big, a big part to start the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I guess it, it's part, you know, do you think, I mean, to me, when I think about this whole thing, you know, about that, the whole problem, right. Of, of men objectifying women and male aggression and things like that, like there's this, it's part of this whole hierarchy, right. And boys are part of this hierarchy too where where women are put at this sort of lower place in the hierarchy and then you know it's it's almost like like the it's like the like a dominance played out maybe in the locker room too where the most aggressive most you know it's kind of like is that that sort of ideal is like aggressive dominant not feeling any feelings right and and not relating kind of as a human being in some ways right and so yeah i mean i mean i guess that's like hurtful in, in so many ways i mean talk about all the people who are suffering because they've like kind of shut off things and and then they're it's all kind of popping out in in so many ways yeah so it's i mean that the problem is huge and so you're kind of looking at this and and similar to me you're saying like there's all these problems out there let's look at how let's look at the home. Like there's all these different ways we can kind of solve and look at these problems, legislation and blah, 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 in, in a lot of big contexts. But like, how can we 
come into the home and start from the beginning to say, to kind of counteract this toxic culture. That's kind of what I've gotten in a big sense from what you've written. Yeah. And I, I do think that it, it comes back to just the very basics of teaching our kids and living in our own lives in healthy relationships. And, you know, you had a really astute observation about the hierarchy and, and one thing that can happen with that locker room mentality is if, if we're raising our boys um, and our girls for that matter too, without a healthy view of, of relationships, then there's this isolation that happens where, you know, young men will look at other men as competition and they'll look at other women as conquest. Um, but what it does is it, in different ways, it separates us from every other human being because we don't look at a human being as someone to be loved and known and served and in friendship and in healthy, respectful relationship. But everyone is there as, as somebody that we have to either beat in our way to get ahead or we have to use for our own selfish ambition. And it isolates us all from each other. And it really creates a, you know, a warped view of, of the world and it creates a warped society. And so I think how we counteract that, it does start in the home, um, which is kind of the laboratory where love should be learned. And we've got to teach our kids that, that relationships are what matters. And I, I kind of had a head start in this growing up because my mom was a hospice nurse. And oh, hospice... my mom was a hospice nurse. No too. way. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> they're amazing. They're amazing. I bet. All right. We have to digress just a little bit because where, wherever you went in your town and area, did people come up to your mom and say like, oh, you helped my aunt. Thank you so much. Blah, blah. Yeah. She was a celebrity <laughs> yeah, in our, in our little town. She like, it was like driving around with mother Teresa or like everybody. <laughs> Everybody just wanted to hug her and shake her hand and thank her and had a story and yeah. and and I love that and so so I would I, I grew up you know with with the kind of in, in the shadow of, of I mean not the shadow because she I was just next to her a lot and I would go with her sometimes when she would go on call to these folks houses and so as a kid I'm hanging out with people who are dying and they know they're dying. And that does a lot to change a kid's worldview because talking to these folks, what I learned is that most of the regrets that people have at the end of their life um, are rooted in relationships that were broken. Mm -hmm. And most of the joys that people have at the end of their life are rooted in relationships that are healthy. And a lot of folks, they go through their whole life and until their deathbed, they don't even really stop to realize that relationships are what, what it's all about and what matters. And you know, they, they've rushed through life just chasing other things that in the end proved to be pretty empty. And I'm so thankful for that experience I had early on as a kid and a mom and, and a dad too, for that matter, who um, embodied that, you know, in, in their faith and in the way that they lived and in the way they treated others. Um, it took root, you know, in, in me at a young age, even though I was, you know, I made a lot of dumb mistakes and still do, but I wanted, I wanted a life that was rich in relationships because I realized that if you have everything else, but you don't have love, it's, it's an empty life. And mm -hmm. so it's part of what we're trying to teach our kids is, is like, look, if you can get all the trophies the world has, you can accumulate all the dollars that are out there. But if, if you don't have healthy relationships, if you don't really love people and have people that love you, if you don't, um, if, if you miss that, then it's an empty life. Amen. I mean, and that's what all the research says. I mean, that's what, you know, pointing you know, the people who are researching happiness and things like that. I mean, relationships are where we get the most uh, happiness and joy out of, out of everything in life. And so for you, a lot of what you've written in Raising Boys Who Respect Girls, you're sort of 
you know, this, uh, this idea of the, the problem, um, and you talk about kind of, you talk about ways, seven ways that we miss the mark. So just to describe the problem a little, in a little more clarity, what, can you, can you share with us those, those seven ways that we kind of miss the mark on manhood? Well, gosh, now you put me on the spot. I'm trying to think of what those seven ways are. Let me think. Um, my, my, I'm getting to that age. I'm getting to the age where it's like I need to start taking memory booster in the morning because my wife will be like, "Remember when you told me this?" And I'm like, "I said that." Sometimes I'll read things in my own book, and I'm like, "Did I write that?" I mean, I, I, I feel you. I get it. I get okay. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but you talk about how. Well, I'll. Sh- can I share this? Please, yeah. Please, I got sorry. it right here. <laughs> so you talk about saying that we, you know, maybe unintentionally, we 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 give our boys the sort of wrong priorities, and that we prior one we prioritize career and hobbies ahead of family. Two, we value our pleasure ahead of purpose. Three, we value those who agree with us, but we write off people who don't share our opinions. Four, we care more about getting credit than having character, which I thought was an interesting one. And five, we elevate our own agenda above everyone else's. Six, we put ourselves ahead of our wives and set the wrong example for our sons. And seven, we value we value networking over genuine relationships. I thought wow. those were pretty That's astute. Pretty good. Did you, I write like that? what you wrote? <laughs> <laughs> like, um, you know, and even even reading this this list, and I, I say things like this throughout the book. You know, I'm not writing these things as a guy that never makes these mistakes mm-hmm. or that has it all figured out. Because even you know, even reading that list that that I wrote, like I feel this thing sometimes of like, oh, I I still do the opposite of that sometimes. You know, mm-hmm. I still um, get my priorities out of whack, or I still am quick to write somebody off who disagrees with me. Or, um, you know, I I think there's a selfishness that that all of us, if we're honest, have to you know, have to face in ourselves and kind of combat every single day. But it's worth the fight because if we just let that run wild. Uh, it leads to some really, really dark places. And I think with raising sons in particular, you know, our society doesn't really have the way that some societies in the past have had these, uh, these kind of rites of passage that let a young boy know he's become a man other than Mm -hmm. these sort of arbitrary ages, like, well, you're 18 now or you're 21 now or whatever. And boys, they're asking all the time. They want to know, like, am I a man now? Or what does it take to be a man? And in, in absence of giving them some real values to hold to um, in that process. There's there are some very superficial and counterfeit alternatives that people are posing as manhood that you know that we we see out there in the world that can be wrapped up in materialism or it can be wrapped up in um, sexual conquest um, that just uses people instead of loving them. And so I think we have to come back often to these conversations with ourselves and with mm-hmm. our, our sons to say, you know, what kind of what kind of person do you want to become? And what are the choices that are going to help you get there? And what are the things that could potentially derail you from getting there? Um, and to be intentional along the way, because it, it doesn't happen by default. You know, nobody becomes the best version of themselves by default. It takes, I think, a lot of intentionality. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. Now, um, you, you know, so you, you offer then some, some, you, this idea about, you know, um, you know, you said that um, we need to turn return to a timeless definition of manhood, and we need to kind of be. And I, I like this idea of like 
we have to know what we're aiming for, right? Like we need this clarity as a goal. So um, what, what are, what are some things that you would say that, you know, we want to, everyone wants their kids to be successful and things like that. So what, what would you say that we should be teaching our boys about what, what that, what does it really mean to be a real man? I think we have to be really intentional about who we celebrate Mm. because there's something in, in the heart mind of a little boy that he looks at the heroes that are celebrated and he says, well, that must be the goal. That must be the bullseye to be like him, be like that guy that everybody cheers Mm. for. Mm -hmm. And so we need to be intentional about um, putting, you know, those, those kind of right kind of role models in, in front of our, our kids. And, you know, I think it's great when, when they can come from, it can be somebody up close that, that our sons can, can see and touch, so to speak. Like if, if we have a multi-generational family and they're, they're, you know, older, wiser guys who've come before. For me, I had a great grandfather that um, was kind of one of those heroes for me. Like I, he, he died when I was about eight years old, but up until that time, just being around him, um, I just thought, man, I, I want to be like this guy. And it wasn't because he had a ton of money. Like he lived very simply. Um, he'd been a farmer and he'd worked in a factory and raised eight children and, in a you know, lived through the depression and had all kinds of different uh, stories of overcoming, but with faithfulness and with integrity, um, he'd loved his family. And the result of that, like generations later, is he was surrounded by all these people who loved him and who he had been such a vital part of their life. And so when he died, you know, he left his kids and grandkids an inheritance that was, you know, value, a whole lot more valuable than, than just money could have ever been. And mm-hmm. he was celebrated and that helped me from an early age say, you know, I, it, it's okay to, to want to choose this kind of a path that this guy that, you know, never owned a nice suit in his life. Um, and yet is, is the most admired guy that I knew because he'd lived a life with integrity and he lived a life with love and he lived a life where he'd, um, you know, he, he'd been authentic and he hadn't been perfect, but he'd been, he'd been real, a real example that I could, I could follow in a lot of ways. And so I think with our, our sons, um, they're looking, they're looking on TV, they're looking, you know, they're looking all around it to, you know, athletes or politicians or whoever, like, who are we celebrating? And why are we celebrating those people? Because our sons are noticing and they're saying, well, I guess everything about that person's life must be something worth following. And if we're not careful, um, we could be raising our sons to, to think the path to success uh, really is a path that could lead them down some dark places. And actually, you know, in that kind of practical section where you're talking about you know, I'm kind of jumping ahead to where I wanted to go, but I, I appreciated how in this sort of practical session where you have uh, thoughts about teaching your sons the right lessons, you you talk about, um, you know, encouraging going to, taking your son to a movie with a strong female lead and also what looking at books that showcase strong young women. Um, and I appreciated that uh, because sometimes I feel like you know, there's all this great information that is empowering to women, but there, you know, um, there, you know, there isn't, you know, are, are the boys looking at, you know, it is like, it is the other half even paying attention to it at all. So, um, 
when you talk about like a great role model, would you, I like how like kind of in the practical application of what you're saying, like that was in it, you know, you said, what's one thing that makes mommy so strong. And I really appreciated that. Um, yeah, you know, you write that in the, when t looking at the kind of definition of the kind of ideal genuine manhood, the first thing you say is have the courage to fight for what's right. And so tell me a little bit more about that and maybe how that, how that is in your own life and how do you plan on talking to your sons about that? Yeah, I, I think that we've got to identify, you know, what are the battles that, um, that were, you know, that we're meant to fight, um, in our, in our time, in our world, right in front of us. And it, it, it's, it's not usually a battle that we fight with our fists. Um, the most important battles are fought in, in more substantial ways than that. And I think that any fighting for what right for what's right means being willing, um, being willing to put yourself out there for the sake of something or someone else, um, simply because it's right, even if it costs you something, even if it, um, even if that, even if you'll never be, you know, repaid, so to speak, from that person. But in in our world, I think that there's kind of this networking mentality where it's like I'm only going to help people who can help me in an equal or greater way. But real integrity means saying, like, no, I want to speak up. For those who, um, you know, who, who can't speak for myself. And that, that in particular is a, you know, a tenet of my faith. It's actually a, a, a verse from the book of Proverbs that says, speak for those who can't speak for themselves, fight for the rights of the helpless and the defenseless. And I feel like, I feel like those are words to live by. And I think that there's something in every young boy, there certainly was in me that hears words like that and says, yes, um, I want to fight a battle that's, that's worth fighting. And that doesn't mean that we have to strap on armor again. That doesn't mean that we get into an octagon and have to, you know, beat somebody up. But it does mean that it's going to require courage and it's going to require self-sacrifice on some levels to say, there's an injustice happening that I have, I have the power to do something about. And it can be as small as there's a kid getting bullied in my school. Um, and that bully might be a lot bigger than me, but I'm going to be part of, part of standing up to defend this, this kid who's getting picked on. And I'm not going to let that go by on my watch. That's part of, that's part of me putting myself out there potentially at risk and self-sacrifice to help someone that's bigger. And then, and then for the rest of our lives, as we grow and as by scale, the, the challenges get bigger to continue to be willing to, to take on the bullies or to take on the injustices or to speak for those who can't speak for themselves for whatever reason and do it with compassion and with integrity, um, with the true aim of helping others instead of just patting our own resumes in the process. And I think that that has to be the core of what it means to not only be a, a good man, but to just be a good human in general. Yeah. I think kind of everything you talk about here is it applies equally in many ways to men and women and boys and girls. Um, yeah. And it's, it's asking a lot because if you ask a boy, uh, you know, a 14 year old boy to stand up to the like popular guy who's talking trash about, you know, who's objectifying women or whatever in the, in a situation, he's going to lose a lot of social capital. Yeah. And, um, and that's asking a lot. And so may or may not make the right choice, but we can only encourage that, that right choice. So for you, you know, you've spoken about this, all, a lot of this comes from, for you, you find a lot of like grounding in this, in, in your faith, in your Christianity. And I really appreciate the whole chapter about Jesus being a respecter of women. Can you tell us a little bit more? Because I don't have a lot of familiarity personally 
with it. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? How, how is Jesus this, an example of an, a respecter of women? Yeah. And thank you for the opportunity to, to talk about that because, you know, really you talk about heroes and, and who to emulate, who to follow, you know, for me as, as a follower of Christ, um, you know, he's, he's my example in, in all parts of my life, but people don't often think of him, especially those um, maybe the, that are outside the Christian faith is, is this champion of women. Um, but he really, really is. I mean, I, I think that there's a mindset often uh, that, that there's something inherent about Christianity that, that is to hold women down. I guess, um, you know, there's a, in the Catholic faith, like women can't be priests, all, you know, there's all, there's traditions, right? Where, cause it comes out sure. of patriarchal society that, that has those, I mean, it's just, there's some similar traditions in other religions too. So, but yeah. But when you look at Jesus himself, um, you know, who didn't, didn't come to, to start a religion, so to speak. I mean, he came and, and he, he said, follow me, I'll show you the way to life. And when you look at the way that he interacted with women um, through all four of the Gospels, which are kind of the biographical stories about his life recorded in the Bible, every interaction he had with women is something that um, reading it through our 21st century Western eyes might not seem as radical as it was, but it was a radical approach to, um, to raising, raising and elevating the status of women. So Jesus lived in a time in first century in Palestine and that part of the world where women had no rights, essentially. They had no rights politically. They had no rights religiously. Um, they, they, their testimony was not valid in a court of law. Um, they were looked down upon. Uh, people looked at them, men looked at them typically in one of three, three ways, with, with lust, with distrust, or with disgust. It was one of those three. They were either an object um, of lust, or they were just someone not to trust, not to believe, to be skeptical of, or they were seen as, you know, as something to, to look at with disgust. They were, um, you know, very, very, very sexist behavior happening. Um, and, and I kind of get in, into that in, in the book in a lot of kind of historical detail. And men didn't interact with women. Um, it was scandalous for a man to even speak with a woman that wasn't a direct relative of his. And all through the Gospels, Jesus is seeking out women. Um, mm. He's befriending them. You know, he's, he's healing them. He's empowering them. He, he would tell stories, uh, which are called parables, where he would, he would teach about spiritual things, but he would use kind of these um, metaphor stories to do it. And in so many of his parables, he would use a female hero um, as, as the, 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 patri- the, as the, uh, the, the protagonist, the main hero of his story, uh, to the point where like even his disciples, who were the guys that were kind of his closest followers, were like, often scandalized by the fact of like, why are you talking to her? Like, why are you touching? Why are you helping her? Why are you, why are you doing that? And he would always use it as a teaching moment. So, mm. you know, my challenge both to, you know, to Christians or non-Christians alike um, is to, is to look at Jesus with fresh eyes as an example that we should follow for what it means for a man to respect women. And I think if we, with an open mind, if we'll do that, um, I think we might be amazed at what we could learn. Um, about, about what respect really can and should be. Mm. Wow. I appreciate that. I, I didn't, you know, not something I was educated in ever in my life. So I really, I really appreciate that example. So what are, what are some of the, you know, you talk about a problem is that like, um, that we as parents, as, as far as raising kids who, 
you know, and, and I think it is important to think specifically of, 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 you know, boys who respect girls, but also like kids who respect each other. They're not going to let, you know, anybody, regardless of their, their gender orientation, whatever, just be stomped on and and objectified. Um, Now you talk about one of the things that we aren't as parents talking to our kids. We're not talking about the difficult, you know, we've, we've had on the podcast talking about, talking about sex and the difficult issues around that and how, you know, it has to be a ongoing conversation. But the, the, I, you know, you say in the book that we, with, by not talking to our kids and not talking to our, to our boys, we're giving tacit approval of the locker room behavior. So tell me, yeah. tell me a little bit more about that and how let's, I lo- love to transition into some of those practical tips you give too about how we can raise boys who are, are respectful of girls. Yeah, I think that that tacit approval is something to be so mindful of because our, our boys will take our silence on any issue as as approval. I mean, even things that seem, you know, seem as, as harmless potentially as just watching something on TV in a fictional setting um, in a sitcom or in a movie where there's a clear example of um, of someone mistreating or abusing uh, or laughing at the expense of another where oh my god i have to interject here uh, have you watched back to the future since you've had your boys since you know like the original yeah. back to the future have yeah you watched it? yeah i have it's it's like you watch some of these movies and it it's like i can't believe i didn't remember it you didn't even ho- see the whole thing like biff is like basically like raping his, mo- his i know i know <laughs> It's, no, it's it's horrifying it's to go horrifying. back and watch this stuff. And you're like, I was like eight years old watching this, thinking that this was just the best movie ever. And now I'm watching it again with my kids. And I'm thinking, what is happening here? Like, like who pitched this plot to, uh, to <laughs> exist? It, it was crazy because as a movie as a whole, it really held up really well. It was a great movie. Oh, no, with I, I like still... Great writing, all that stuff. But then you get to that scene. And for the listener who does not remember, Biff is like this big... Beefy guy, and basically, like uh, the main character's mom, he goes back in time, and he he's like basically date raping her in a car, and everybody's like, ha 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 ha, whatever. Like it's, it's this crazy scene that uh, for us to come back and look at. Obviously, Dave, you're having the same exam experience. Yeah, of like, yeah. What is going on? And we had to stop and talk to our girls. <laughs> but I I do think though that it does create those that you did the, you did a great thing by pausing it and saying like. Like, look, this is fictional, this is entertainment, and all this stuff, but this is a teaching moment to really talk about um, boundaries and to talk about healthy behaviors and to talk about what to do if that's ever happening to you. Or if you see it happening, like all these people in the movie did, where they're just walking by and laughing and looking for moments like that to, to teach and to say, like, what, all right, what, what should be done in this situation? Mm. Um, that's, that's a big part of parenting. And I get that it's so much easier to just kind of click on autopilot and let the screens babysit the kids for a while and all of us sort of veg out. But I, I think we also have to, and I'm, I'm kind of talking to myself here because I'm so guilty of, of vegging out more than I should, but looking for those moments to, um, you know, to, to speak into it and to say like, now, now listen, that's, that's out of bounds or that, that makes people feel disrespected or potentially could. And here's why. And so may, maybe what's a way that we could, we could do that differently. I, I've got it for me. Like I love comedy. Um, you know, I watch a lot of stand up. I watch a lot of sitcoms, but I've realized I've got to be so careful at what I laugh at because my boys are watching. And if I laugh at something, then 
instantly they think, oh, that must be funny. Or even if it's inappropriate, or even if it's, if it's um, disrespectful towards somebody, it, because it's funny, it must be okay. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. I'm potentially teaching my kids to, to laugh. Like, I don't want to teach them to laugh at sexist jokes. I don't want to teach them to, to give their approval, even through something like laughter, you know, something that's going to objectify I'll just interject here too, because last night I listened, right before I listened to this, talk to you, I listened to the uh, Fresh Air interview with Peggy Orenstein, who just wrote the book, Boys and Sex, which you'll, you'll have to read. Um, but she talked about how that in the, in like a 14 year old boy, if they're sent something like a, a graphic picture of a woman or something like that, and they find it uncomfortable even if they find it uncomfortable it's not something they like the sort of only she said the only sort of only socially appropriate uh response to that is hilarious that like that that is like a this like kind of weird approval kind of strange but anyway sorry keep going no and i can i can remember feeling that way at 14 um where you know i I'm so glad that she's kind of given some, you know, some research to, to this to kind of help parents. And that's a lot of what I'm trying to do in, in the book too, is like kind of help parents understand what's happening in the kids, kids' minds that we've got to let them know, look, it's, it's okay not to laugh. In fact, what I'm going to challenge you to do is to have the courage to say like, I don't, don't send me stuff like this mm-hmm. to be willing to, to call mm-hmm. out, you know, the guy that's starting the text thread or whatever to say, look, and I'm taking myself out of this thread. Um, Cause it, 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 it makes me uncomfortable. And frankly, it should make you guys uncomfortable that, you know, that we're sending out pictures like this, or we're, we're look we're looking and laughing at, at women in this way, in a way that, you know, it's just not appropriate. And, and I, that takes an enormous amount of courage, not only for a 14 year old, it, it does for adults. Like I find, I found myself in, in, in male, you know, settings, men just by nature don't necessarily outgrow these mindsets. I mean, I've been in locker rooms with, with men in their seventies, you know, that are, um, that are having some of these, these same kind of objectifying conversations that the 14 year olds were having in the middle school locker room. And if we're not careful, I think sometimes we'll just like, you know, laugh out of nervousness or out of just wanting to remove ourselves from the situation. But there are times where we've got to be willing, especially if, if these are guys that we have a relationship with to say, listen, that's, that's out of bounds. And frankly, it's wrong and I don't want to be part of it. So I don't, mm. don't send me stuff like that anymore. Snap. I hope that I, I hope that happens. I mean, I can, I can imagine that happens even in older ages. I was at the YMCA the other day. I'm walking down the stairs and some like 80 year old guy, like smiled at me. And then he said, thank you for giving me that nice smile. Like my grandfather did when, he was when I was like, and, and I was like, are you serious, buddy? Like, like, would you say that to a man? Thank you for giving me that nice smile. Oh, like, Oh my goodness. That's, um, that is so, that's, I, I heard a, a, a comic. So I told you I like comedy. I thought this was a good standard. I laughed and I thought that's actually a really good standard. And this comedian was talking about appropriate things to say to women, like, why do we say stuff to women? We wouldn't say to other men. And he said, don't give a woman a compliment that you would be uncomfortable having a man in prison give to you. So like, <laughs> so if you're like, Hey, sweetie, I like your hair. Like, well, if a man in prison said the same thing to you, would you be comfortable with that? And I laughed and I thought, 
<sighs> that's actually a pretty good standard. Like what, if I wouldn't say it to another <laughs> man, like, why would I, why would I, anyway, I don't know. Yeah, I haven't no. maybe word sense of humor, but. No, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. So we, we, it's uncomfortable. It takes a lot of like, uh, it takes a lot of like, in some ways, like vulnerability for us as parents to start these conversations to ask, like, what's going on in the text chain? Like, what we want to, do we want to, I mean, how do we want to approach these conversations, right? Because our kids are going to shut off if we try to interrogate them. I have an almost 13 year old. I know, I yeah, know yeah. how hard it is. And what do you, you know, what do you say for like, how, how do we start these difficult conversations with our son? I think that we've got to establish early and often from the, not, not starting when they're 13, but starting, you know, mm-hmm. when they're infants that, that look, I'm, I want to be the safest place on earth for you mm-hmm. to talk about whatever. Like when you've got a question about sex or life or whatever, like, I don't want you to start with Google. I don't want you to start with asking some kid on the bus, come to me. And I promise I'm not going to freak out. And, you know, I will, I will give you an honest answer. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I don't have it, if I don't have an answer, I'll, I'll find one for you. I know with, with boys in particular, you know, I think parents say like, I can't get him to open up. I don't know what he's thinking. I, I have a lot of kind of communication tips in the book, but I think one of maybe one of the simplest ones is that for most boys, research has shown that they open up more when the conversation is built around an activity. Mm-hmm. Um, if you just say, I, we really need to talk or we're going to have a big talk. Most boys and even men, a lot of times will shut down at that for some reason. But if it's built around a like, Hey, let's go on a walk. Um, let's, you know, your body's in motion, you're side by side. Um, you might find that he opens up a little bit more and it doesn't have to start with these kind of heavy, heavy questions about like, so what are, what are people saying about sex in your grade? Or, you know, what it can, it can start with little stuff, you know, funny stuff in that even getting him to laugh is a, is a doorway, a doorway into, you know, more intimate and potentially deeper conversation matter. But more than anything, I think it just, it takes our presence in his life. You know, this is just kind of parenting tips all around, not just to get him to talk about these specific things, but be present, listen to him when he wants to talk to you about stuff that bores you to death. When he wants to talk to you about <laughs> the video game that he just beat and you would rather like stab yourself in the face than listen about a video game. Just listen and you know, pretend to be interested in what you're doing is you're, you're showing him that um, the things that he thinks, the things that matter to him, because it matters to him, it matters to you. And that's, that's building, it's building in kind of the trust bank of your relationship so that mm-hmm. when you have to get to these more serious topics, uh, he's, he's going to be in a place where he's much more ready to open up. Mm. I appreciate that. Um, so, so if relationships, the healthy relationships, modeling that this is like our goal, right? Like this is what we're wanting to do. And this is like what boys get shut off from when they're taught not to feel their feelings, not to, you know, to be in a box and be kind of always like dominant and not caring about what other people feel. So would you, would you say that like kind of, um, you know, would you agree? I guess like I talked to, I told you, I talked to Liz Plank recently who wrote for the love of men talking about, she talked about how emotional education is like this thing that boys are desperately needing. Would you, would you agree with that? What would you say to that? I do think that emotional education is 
is something that boys are desperately need. And you, you mentioned earlier in the conversation um, how I think that, and again, it's part of that locker room mindset, that false, false notion of what masculinity should be, that there are these false mindsets of uh, the fact that well, showing emotion is, is weakness. Um, and we make these false gender distinctions where it's like, you know, emotions are for girls and, you know, boys don't cry. It's like, well, we, we both have tear ducts, you know, we, we we're, we're all human. When I talked about my great grandfather, um, as, as kind of a hero, one thing that kind of gave me permission to express emotion early is that he was a man that was celebrated for being so tough. And yet he, he would cry you know, at the drop of a hat, like he, he was not afraid. He was never afraid to express his emotion. Um, and, and I saw, well, that must be something that strong men can do because, you know, he does it. And I think we've got to be willing to give our sons that permission because if they, if we don't, and they feel like they have to bottle it all in, then it just manifests itself in really unhealthy ways. That emotion is going to find a way out, uh, Mm -hmm. one way or another. And so we've got to help them channel that into healthy, healthy expressions. So in a lot of ways, this is a call to dads. Well, this particular part, I mean, I think, I think the book itself has as much for moms, if not more for moms than for dads, because it, it'll help you see what's happening in your son's brain. If you're, if you've ever thought, I don't know what it's like to be in the mind of a 14 year old boy or a 16 year old Mm -hmm. boy or 12 year old Mm -hmm. boy, like this will be a roadmap to help you know what's happening in his mind and how you as his mom are uniquely qualified. Uh, to be the most, you're obviously, you know, the most influential woman in his life and how to help him navigate that and, and, and to set the foundation for him to be in healthy relationships someday. But, you know, this, this particular part of kind of like emotional um, education, I think dads, you know, this is one part where our example goes such a long way. And there are certainly parts of, of this book and of what we need to train our, our sons where they do need to see it. From a, from a man, from that man in their life, you know, whether you're, you're their dad, whether you're the stepdad, um, you know, whether maybe that he's being raised by a single mom and you're just, um, you know, a coach or a mentor of some kind, there are certain things he needs to see in a man and be taught that it's okay from a man that it's okay to, it's okay to show emotion. He needs to see in a man an example of what it looks like in an adult relationship to treat a woman with respect. And you have such a unique and powerful opportunity uh, especially if you're a dad listening to this, to do that, to be that example. By your example, the way you treat your wife, you're showing your sons what they, how they should treat women, and you're showing your daughters what they should expect from men someday. And your example is, is giving them a big head start in the right direction, or potentially it's giving them a lot of baggage that's going to set them in the wrong direction. So we've just got to be mindful of that. Mm. Thank you so much, Dave. I, I really appreciate what you've done here. Um, you know, I think that, you know, I think that this, this is a message that needs every voice in every audience, um, to be shared, you know, that this is kind of like, you know, I think, um, part of, part of the me too movement is to say like, you know, it's great waking up women, but we also, we need, we need voices like yours, like strong men to wake up the conversation on the other side. and. and I really appreciate that you are doing this, truly. Thank you. Well, I, like you said, I, I think it, it, it does take all of us. You know, this is, um, this is too big an issue for anybody to be silent. Um, and so we've, 
we've got an opportunity to make the world a better place for our sons and our daughters if um, if we'll fight this battle now and if we'll work together now. And so I'm happy to hopefully be one tiny, tiny little part of the solution. Sometimes for all of us, it probably feels like charging a wildfire with nothing but a squirt gun. Um, but if all of us together are charging that same wildfire, we can we can make this we can make it happen. And so thank you for what you're doing. And thank you so much for the opportunity to to have this conversation. Thank you. And and before we go, and if people want to continue this conversation with you, where should they find you? Yes. And thank you for that. Um, Well, the book itself, Raising Boys to Respect Girls, you can get on Amazon or bookstores, really anywhere books are sold. Um, My primary work is I work along with my wife, Ashley. uh, She's the brilliant one in the relationship. And we, we help create resources to help people in their marriages. And so you can find us on the Naked Marriage Podcast or at a site called marriagetoday.com. Thank you so much, Dave. I'm, I'm so glad we connected. I am too. Thank you again for this. I love what Dave had to say about coming from that, you know, that real honesty and vulnerability showed about coming from, you know, being on the side of, of hearing and witnessing that locker room talk to how do we talk to boys and, and being really clear about that. It's such a great perspective. And, and yes, of course, boys want to know what it takes to be a man. It's, it's amazing. So I hope you have enjoyed this bonus episode. Um, If you are listening in real time, I want to remind you that the Mindful Parenting membership is opening really soon. And you know, I know that you can learn to yell less, create cooperation, and have really harmonious relationships with your parent, your children. (laughs) You know, we just weren't taught how. And it really is possible to parent without punishment and the resentment that builds. And it's really possible not to pass on those harmful parent, you know, patterns that our our families gave us. It's possible to turn around relationships that may currently have a lot of conflict. You know, you can have this confidence, community support, and a system to create connected, strong relationships with your kids. And I have a plan to help, and it's all inside the Mindful Parenting membership. I hope you'll check it out. I'd love for you to join me beyond the podcast, join me in person, and so I can connect with you and help you personally with your challenges and issues. And uh, so I invite you to learn more. It's at mindfulparentingcourse.com. That's at mindfulparentingcourse.com. And I'm wishing you a beautiful week. You know, I think about this time and I think that we need to remember that we've been through hard times before and that we are strong, we're resilient, and we're thoughtful. And, And we can do this. You know, it's just day by day bit by bit and we can we can be part of the healing so i thank you so much for being here to the and listening to this episode for connecting with me i really appreciate your comments and shout outs on you know instagram and facebook all of those really mean a lot to me and they really cheer me on so i really appreciate that thank you so much and um i'm wishing you a beautiful week my friend namaste